You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by... Matt Handrahan. Rebecca Valentine. And Brendan Sinclair. I'm back. Hayden's reign of terror is over. Although, I, honestly, I, so earlier today, literally on my lunch break, I, I was listening to the end of the previous episode. And I think you broke them by the end of it. Like, are they okay? <laughs> it was just, you sounded so tired and so broken. So hopefully we'll have a bit more of a an on-track episode this week. We'll be discussing the biggest news and stories happening in the industry, starting with the impact of the coronavirus. So the new coronavirus outbreak that's been going on for a good few weeks now. Um, headlines in terms of how it directly affects the games industry. Uh, Sony and Facebook have just pulled out of GDC. Sony has also pulled out of PAX East. Uh, this These two stories follow kind of the recent cancellations of events like the Taipei Game Show and Mobile World Congress. There's ongoing reports that certain manufacturers are struggling to get supplies and struggling to, to keep productions on schedule. Um, kind of like Rob Rob wrote a column which we're almost certainly going to dip into where he mentioned obviously none of the things that affect uh, the industry are even close to the worst things that are, are happening with them um, the coronavirus obviously the death toll is rising and it's genuinely a terrible situation and terrifying um depending on, on whose reports you read um but I, we're obviously a games industry podcast let's focus on on our specific kind of area of expertise what what do you guys think of the impact this is having? Let's start with the fact that Sony and Facebook are pulling out of GDC. That is, that has been a, a, not a surprise as such, but a, a potential blow to the show. Yeah, I think actually uh, I'd be interested to know, uh, Rebecca, as a resident of the United States, what is what is the pitch of sort of concern, paranoia about coronavirus obviously you live in one specific part and you can't speak for everyone but you've got friends around and stuff and specifically you've got friends that live in the city that where gdc is based uh we're talking about gdc impacts here of course is there can you understand why like say facebook which is based literally 45 minutes drive away from the moscone center isn't going to be a, a gdc i and I want to be clear, I, I don't want to downplay anybody who is concerned for the well-being of their employees. I don't think any making... of us do, though, right? Like we're... Right, yeah, I just, I just want to throw that out yeah. there. I, I, absolutely, if, you, if you're if you as a company thinking that the best decision to keep your employees from getting sick and dying is not sending them, them to a big, you know, international event, then, yeah, don't do that. Um, it's honestly... I. People are freaked out to varying degrees here that are kind of weird. Um, I live in I live in Kansas City. We have not had any cases remotely near us, so it just kind of feels like a thing that's happening somewhere else where I am. Um, I think in bigger bigger cities it's different, less because there are necessarily like I know uh, we got Pax East coming up in Boston. There has I think been one confirmed case in Boston specifically. Um, I I think it's less like concerns about just like the people you run into kind of in the street on a day-to-day basis and more like thoughts in terms of travel and going to things where, you know, a bunch of people have shown up from, we, we, we do not know where they have gone through airports with people from, you know, all over the place. And so when, I don't know, I think it's, I think right now it feels like it's something that's happening somewhere else to me and to kind of the people around me. But also when you look at like these big events and when you think about going to a big event, we're already worried about spreading disease. There's all the kind of like, you know, tongue in cheek jokes about the Pax Pox and stuff like that. Um, so I, I get it. Like I, I understand why Facebook would not want to send people, even if it's just a 45 minute drive, if they're concerned that people are showing up to GDC who might be carrying um, the new coronavirus. 
but also GDC, you know, kind of has already locked down um, in terms of like who they, they issued. I think Brendan, you wrote this up. They issued something about they're not having any exhibitors from China this year, I think, which is where the outbreak has primarily been. Yeah, they've right? they've um, well, they, they said U.S. travel restrictions are basically preventing Oh. Um, attendees from China or exhibitors from China, and a lot of their exhibitors from China, um, even even if they have you know international presence, aren't aren't sending people. So they that was they said about two percent of exhibitors and about two percent of attendees that they were just saying like, yep, they they won't be at GDC, and that that update was like know, a week old though. Yeah. I am I am surprised. I, I think I have a kind of a weird perspective on it just because I, I am like not in a major hub. But I, I do think that like I think it's not surprising that Sony is backing out of all this. That doesn't shock me in the slightest. Um, Facebook and Oculus backing out is, I, I think, alarming in the sense that, yeah, they are just right down the road. And now I'm wondering, OK, who else is just right down the road or, you know, elsewhere in the U.S. that is going to back out? Like if, if Facebook Oculus feels that they had a strong enough reason to do it, then, you know do do should other companies be backing out like I, yeah. I i don't know like what what were they thinking there well the event the sort of the lit the touch paper of all of this it was not really a games industry one was it It was mobile world congress in barcelona which which is a huge huge event if anyone's ever been there it's 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 easily on the equivalent size of, of something like gc obviously that stopped altogether that just didn't take place and at that point, I mean, this was, you know, even a few few weeks ahead of, of what we're talking about now. So so the, the coronavirus hadn't spread as wi- even as widely as it had now. But I, I kind of suspected maybe that, well, you know, in the mobile industry, China and East Asia are, are pretty pretty important players there. If you look through that, that event sponsors, there's a lot of Chinese companies, Taiwanese companies, so on and so forth. I, I, got, I, I guess without wanting to be cynical about it like particularly because you know spain was not one of like the hotbeds for this this virus spreading um to to cancel the whole event and the unbelievable amount of money that must have been lost off the back of that i just assumed it was to do with the event's reliance on on a chinese audience chinese attendees chinese sponsorship chinese just general participation the the area where this this the the outbreak was really happening um, but as you say, I, I, uh, the, that two percent figure, I suppose, means that, yeah, I, I, I guess we were all thinking like, what would it take for something like GDC to not go ahead? But I guess that probably doesn't really feel like that realistic a concern. I think it's more that what sort of value does GDC lose as a result of companies as large as Sony and Facebook just not not attending? Um, I mean, we're, you know, me, you, uh, I'm going to be there, Rebecca will be there, Brendan, you'll be there too. We're all going. And, and these, these sorts of companies are mainstays. They actually bring quite a lot to the event. Um, Brendan's not going to go and see the post-mortem Cuba as a result of this. So that's a that's pretty the big real blow tragedy. to you but personally. Yeah, exactly. That's a, <laughs> a real tragedy of all this. I do think it's it's kind of interesting. So we've got we've got PAX East uh, coming up uh, next week already. Um, and they, like we said, Sony backed out of that. Um, and our our parent company also owns PAX, so it's a little bit it's a little bit weird to discuss. Um, but I, I I've never been to PAX East. I'm going to PAX East for us. Um, I've been to two PAX West so far. I know that PAX West is considered PAX Prime, um, so that one's obviously going to be bigger. Um, but this PAX East feels quieter to begin with. It just feels like not as much is going on. Um, like it's mostly 
it seems to be mostly smaller companies there. Uh, Sony, Sony's not there. I actually, I, I do not know this. I, I have no like insider knowledge here. Um, I'm kind of wondering if Nintendo's going to drop out of East. Um, I'm saying this on a Friday. They very well could announce their PAX East plans literally tomorrow. I have no idea um, before this before this podcast actually goes up. But Nintendo usually that they're they historically announce things kind of like two weeks ahead of time for PAXs. Uh, we're now less than a week away, and I still have no idea. I I feel like they're going to be there. They're usually at PAX East. I'm pretty sure they have space there. But they haven't made any kind of announcement, and so now I'm wondering if Nintendo is going to make the decision to back out of East as well. And that would honestly be, a, but between not having Sony and not having Nintendo, not having like the two major like people that are usually at the show. We already know Microsoft wasn't planning on attending East this year. That's that was just kind of a thing they weren't doing. Um, but not having like any of those major draws to PAX East. Um, you know, there's no, I, I don't think there are any like refunds for that, but that's just going to make PAX East just very, very empty. And I, regardless of whether, you know, how my parent company feels about it, I think it's personally a bummer because PAX is a fun time. Well, and, yeah, I mean that, but that's, a, yeah, I mean, that's a great point because, uh, we spent, yes, well, we spent about two hours yesterday combing through the GDC schedule together as a team to figure out what we were all doing. And you can say that Sony not being a GDC is a disappointment, but it is pretty serious for an event like PAX, I would say. Yeah. Um, got a game like The Last of Us Part Two. People have been waiting for a long time to have a look at this game. And I, I, I can quite imagine there are people that bought tickets for PAX purely on the strength of seeing that one game and again like if you've got nintendo follow suit it'd be weird with nintendo right because they've, they've literally just committed even further to gdc i think they added an animal crossing panel or something didn't they, they did. to, just today so to back out of one show and then commit further to another one two weeks down the line is is different but yeah it's for me like PlayStation not being at PAX is a far bigger, is far more deleterious to the value of that show from a from the perspective of the ticket buyers than Sony not being at GDC. Um, it's, it's like it's like the headline act not turning up to a rock festival, you know. So, I looked through the schedule and uh, Sony and PlayStation had uh, like nine sessions at at GDC. Facebook's got like ten sponsored sessions two panels oculus is in a couple of all-day game design workshops and then like on the show floor they of gdc they've got booths i'm sure or they won't now but they 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 did but the the gdc floor has always just been sort of it's it's a place to to find a job as much as anything it seems oh it's it's not it's not the big draw of of the event the way for a consumer event having that big sony shaped hole in, in the floor is is Mm. damaging for for PAX. Okay, I just looked. Apparently, PAX East just published the floor plan, and Nintendo still has a booth space there, so... Mm. So, fingers crossed. As much as we're talking about how these these will affect the events themselves, I'm I'm intrigued to see how these... the, the need to withdraw from these events is affecting Sony. So, uh, Sony are obviously not going to E3. We've discussed that at length before, and they've said the reason is they're going to rely on various consumer events instead to kind of raise the profile of you know, not pay at PS5 because they haven't announced it just yet, but obviously the last of their um, PS4 titles and then going forward, the PS5. PAX East obviously wouldn't have been a major step in that direction, but it would have been, it was their first big trade show, first big consumer show of the year, where you've got to assume or hope that they've got a year's worth of activities and stuff to, to do, of, of, of priorities to kind of get out there and get 
customers excited about their products, both current and next gen, and then they've lost that first opportunity to do so. I'm just intrigued as to how the these decisions are going to impact larger plans. I mean, getting really speculative, it, it might have already coronavirus fears might have impacted the PS5 reveal. When they launched the PS4, I think, I don't know why, but I, I'm somewhat certain the date was like February 20th uh, of, of 2013. It was, it was a... It was around this time, yeah. I remember it being around this time. And there's been rumours and scuttlebutt insisting that the, the, the reveal is going to be soon anyway. So, yeah, you're right. I wonder if it has so been if delayed. It, yeah, if they're not travelling, if they're not having their employees travel, uh, regardless of like whether the place they're travelling to has a, a, been a hit by the outbreak, then... You know, maybe that PS5 reveal, the, the, like the big unveiling of it, gets, gets pushed back a little bit further. Well, I talked to, I talked to a, 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 someone I know who runs um, an outsourcing company in Southeast Asia. Um, I won't say the name of the, 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 the company because I don't, know if, uh, I, I don't know exactly to what. But it, they were recently at Dice. Um, and, and apparently this, is, this has been a huge, had a huge impact on, on a lot of companies already. I mean, this, I think this is the thing. Like, it's been in the news for, for, for however long it's been in the news, but not, not that long, right? It's not like a been running for a year or anything like that. But very, very quickly, people rely on China now and various parts of the industry rely heavily on Chinese Chinese labor, Chinese manufacturing to, to operate their businesses properly. So I think it's very, very feasible that that could have happened to that could have already already impacted on PlayStation's plans because to hear this guy to hear this person tell it that they at Dice a lot of the conversations were all around this basic idea of what where do we go now because there are companies that just simply aren't able to fulfil the the contracted work that they have and people are more and more rely on this stuff. Um, I think batch today you were you were looking at a story that's emerging about Samsung being unable to. To get its parts, its products made in Vietnam because the components are made in areas of China that, that aren't really able to, to function properly. Yeah, essentially that. Like the you know, so many of the components and even just the raw materials come from China or go through China at some point. That Samsung, something I read was like the biggest foreign investor, biggest single foreign investor in Vietnam when it comes to manufacturing. They are now looking at delays for their phones because they can't get the components they need. As much as the phones are being made in Vietnam, they don't, they can't get the parts they need, the components they need. So that's that's affecting them as well. And obviously, you know, coronavirus is spreading across all of Southeast Asia. It's not purely just located in, you know, constricted to China. Um, I actually saw uh, Daniel Ahmad from um, Nico Partners was using that story and kind of pointing it like this is why Nintendo and as Nintendo have already said you know it's unavoidable that there are going to be delays to switch production they're having trouble getting the Animal Crossing hardware bundle I know Rebecca you're devastated about that <laughs> they're having trouble getting that uh, out on time because of, of the disruption this disease is causing and that was offset slightly by the fact that they moved some of their um, manufacturing last year to Vietnam. Um, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe they did that when there was talk of more tariffs between the US and China. Yes, right. So, so on the one hand, it's like right, okay, we've dodged that bullet, but now we've moved over. But it's still reliant on China in a way. So, as it's offset it, but it hasn't completely negated the disruption that's um, that's been caused. It's probably a good point to to bring up Rob's column. Rob was talking about how. Uh, the coronavirus outbreak, the impact it is having on manufacturing could well 
have a, a serious implications for the new console. So PlayStation 5 and Xbox. Both PlayStation and Xbox, I believe, are manufactured or partly manufactured or, or have connections to China. All right, they are not in full production yet. They won't be until the autumn. But they are the you know, all these manufacturers will almost certainly have um, schedules. Everything will be booked up. So you know, there's not much kind of there's, there's not a week that a factory is just sitting around doing nothing, waiting for the next job to start. The longer these delays go on, the more it endangers the ability to launch these consoles this year, potentially pushing one or both into next year. That's obviously like you know speculation at this point. There is no indication, but. Given how long, how gradual it is is taking to to combat this this outbreak, that is a possibility, and that itself has big implications for the industry. It feels like it's been a long time since we had a good hardware delay. Yeah, <laughs> like that. PS it's not quite three? the one that we'd wanted. It, it, PS no. PS three was the last really chunky one, wasn't it? And that was more for Europe, right? Yeah, like it, it got pushed oh, yeah. back from real. November of two thousand six to spring two thousand seven for you. Yeah, like April, April two thousand seven. Yeah, 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 before that, I, re- I remember being good. before that. Hardware delays were like almost constant. It seems. I mean, you never had a worldwide launch really, and and then on mm. top of that, you had things like I, I remember the N sixty four seemed like it got pushed a number of times. Um, yeah. Well, that's one possibility think- that Rob talks about in his piece. Actually, is that the you know in in the worst cases, and obviously when we say worst cases, if 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 consoles are pushed into next year, it's because of it's because this this virus gets worse, and obviously we really need to mention that, be be cognizant of that when we talk about it as having impact on console manufacturing. It's small beer compared to what the actual reality of the situation would be for that to happen, but. But, but he did say that the more likely than that and and potentially quite likely even at this stage is is that kind of old school style staggered release of a console where maybe the PlayStation comes out in Japan um, in smaller amounts and then comes out six months later in other territories around the world that may, maybe the the first thing to go would be this simultaneous worldwide launch which as you point out Brendan is actually a fairly recent phenomenon in terms of the games industry anyway. Do we think that it's possible that this ends up? It, it I say this. This so feels so weird to say out loud. It feels like I'm like being very insensitive. But do we feel like this may inadvertently give one console kind of a like a time related edge over another? I know there was sort of talk um, that uh, Microsoft might be planning uh, to launch its Xbox Series X earlier in the year than like normal. I think if I'm remembering right, it was like September or something. Um, and I, I don't know like how that would be impacted by any of this, like if things get worse or if they already have like particular plans. But do, do we think that this that one console ends up coming out this year and the other one next year? Well, I think that the all console companies must be like furiously coming up with contingency plans because I think both Sony and Microsoft must be acutely aware that if if one or the other doesn't manage to find a backup, I mean, like they must be looking for solid backups, the, the where the factories where they could retool them ready for production, and that shouldn't be underestimated, right? Like factories don't sit idle, no, but it does actually take quite a lot of effort and time to retool uh, the machines necessary to make these kinds of products. Um, when those factories just aren't in use, that that's the problem, you know, that the, the supply chain starts quite far before the 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 product hits the shelf, and we're not that far away from the point at which they'd need to start gearing up and right now there are things that are just completely shut down the question then is 
what do you do? I think one of the things that Rob said is you can have, con- there are always contingencies for every stage of the supply chain, but there is no contingency for like the, the, the single country you rely on the most basically being in lockdown for months on end. Um, the, 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 there isn't any anything in the plan that would allow for this right now. So both Sony and Microsoft must furiously be trying to figure out what would happen in these kind of worst case scenarios that, uh, that Rob lays out and that, that we're kind of talking about here. There's the added issue that it's obviously it's not just games manu- console manufacturers that are going to do this. It's all big tech companies. As we said, um, Samsung is having their production um, affected. Apple has already said that they're not going to kind of make quite the, the they're not going to meet their forecasts on iPhones um, this quarter. And I can I can foresee a, a point where all the big tech companies, particularly the ones that are uh, you know smartphone manufacturers, people who are after the same similar components to the the machines that we're talking about, or you know big computer manufacturers are almost not in a bidding war as such, but like kind of vying over a limited supply of components. I seem to recall that when the Switch actually turned out to be more popular than expected. Nintendo did end up in in a heated competition with Apple and other smartphone pro, uh, providers to get the components it needed to even make the units that that to meet the uh, the supply and demand. Um, I'm intrigued to see like how how badly this is affecting other industries as well and where where it whether it will become more competitive because ultimately if it becomes down to a bidding war if there's some sort of secret behind the scenes bidding war as to right apple lays down however much to get the components early so they can get itself back on track faster than say nintendo sony microsoft yeah the whole of the tech industry not just games obviously is is under this yeah well i I, rob mentioned it actually in his piece that apple's given given uh, shareholder warnings based on what's on the impact of the virus already. But actually it hasn't had too much of an effect on their stock price or anything like that, because I think the, the point he made was that in, in that sector, in the mobile phone sector, there is a view that if they don't buy, if, if the consumer doesn't buy an iPhone this quarter, they'll buy it next quarter, or they'll buy it in six months' time. Um, I think the, the question that, that Rob left open, and actually to be honest, I feel like probably a console is more or less the same thing. But I think the question Rob left open is whether or not we would lose, like the industry would lose sales, just fundamentally lose sales if consoles failed to launch this Christmas. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced about that. I think ultimately, if uh, I think the the thing at stake here is what Rebecca pointed out, which was, which is that would, what would be the damage to one or other of the consoles if they had to slip by six months and the other company found a way to to hold firm and, and get it out on time. Um, I, I still feel that's quite unlikely, all, all told. Anyway, though. The ultimate number of consoles sold might not really change if they ship late, but like we just went through a pretty grim Christmas quarter. Um, And especially like in January, the sales figures haven't really looked much better. And the idea of going through another holiday cycle that is a late cycle thing without, I mean, with, with Sony having what ghost of Tsushima, and hoping Last of Us Part 2 still sells. Like, that's going to look not great for them. I don't imagine Xbox is going to have a whole lot either there. Uh, Nintendo? GameStop is going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> so Rob, Rob actually made this um, great point. Like, uh, yeah, potentially, if, if one or both consoles um, gets delayed, then potentially that gives the opportunity for a price cut and kind of, you know, shift the last of the uh, the, the units that are for the current generation. But 
obviously there are limits to how many units are even left in the cycle because all attention will have been diverted to the the new consoles. So you could end up with a a Christmas not only where there are no new consoles on there, but there are limited amounts of the old consoles. And yeah, as we say, like all the publishers, like their their games are aimed for kind of next generation now, by this point, aiming for kind of cubal launches around the around the new consoles. It's yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. We we ran a story this morning based on a, a massive polygon report, which we'll go on to in, into an extent probably next week. But GameStop, uh, not in a good place. If you read, if if you if employees, many many employees are to be believed. Um, so the prospect of a another rough Christmas for GameStop and arguably probably Game in the UK, it could be a significant nail in the coffin for games retail. Yeah, and I know that's dramatic, but that that's a possibility. Well, I mean, all these companies in with the console cycle shift, they they kind of brace for you know a down period until until things ramp up with the new consoles and when they've already done that this time especially sony skipping e3 last year and this year has kind of been signaling like okay okay we're we're going into that quiet period here before next gen uh to to extend that that quiet period further i mean it's yeah it could be disastrous for for gamestop but i think just across the board I, I I would expect to see, you know, the some of the major publishers having some some real difficulty to kind of prolong that that extra time without you know more excitement around the industry and a, and a something to really spark sales. But then I wonder how much the the publishers, the big ones, are they. They're not as reliant on retail releases as they used to be generations ago, because obviously they've all got these download only on you know games as a service titles. You know, EA if it if it has a rough title, you know, rough um, weekend where it can't sell, you know, Battlefield whatever that's coming out on the Xbox. Yeah, okay, I know Battlefield's been delayed to twenty twenty one, but if they have a big next gen launch console, uh, next gen console launch title. If that has to get delayed, or if that has to, you know, that is halved because it's only available on one of the consoles, they at least still have like Apex Legends and FIFA Ultimate Team and all these things like still bringing in the money. Activision, have, you know, rumored to be imminently launching Call of Duty Battle Royale. That's also going to kind of help. Like there are, the damage will be less than it would have been a generation ago. Yeah, it has been interesting to see, and I'm I'm remembering this off the top of my head, so I I don't know like one hundred percent how accurate it is, but it, it's interesting to see like what things are sort of thriving in this environment. Like I believe I saw something the other day about how We Game over in China, it's you know their big like kind of storefront for um, mobile games, um, I, I think or PC, I, I don't know We Game anyway. They um, have been offering a ton of free demos of games because everybody's stuck inside. Like they, a lot of people can't go anywhere. And so they're, they're offering like, I think a certain amount of hours of free demos of certain games to encourage people to play more games since, you know, they can't do a whole bunch of other stuff. And so like digital, digital games in that sense are kind of thriving in those areas. Um, I think if I remember right, Nintendo shifted a bunch of its ring fit, um, ring fit production over to yeah. China and like shifted all its units over to China or not production they shifted its units over to China um, because people were inside and they wanted to exercise and so they put all the ring fits over there and the ring fits are selling great so it's it's weird kind of what the like all the 
sort of smaller ripple effects this has had on different parts of the industry. And I kind of wonder, depending on how long this lasts and how how taxing this is, if we'll see the companies that can try to come up with like different kind of countermeasures to sort of deal with the drought. Well, I think in terms of the games themselves, like um, I think that with this generation, the big word, one of the big uh, points has been backwards compatibility in the sense that there, I don't think you're going to see all that many games being made that will only work on the next gen consoles. I think I think the release slates could stay roughly the same. Um, regardless of, of whether the new consoles are available. Obviously, it dampens a little bit of the impact of a new game that was made with you know the next-gen hardware in mind but is also available on PS4, but very, very, very few publishers seem to have the appetite for just like making a game for a console with no players anymore. Like They, they want to make games that, that straddle both these generations, so that, that too could lessen the impact. I mean, if, if neither console comes out this year, and, and we should emphasize that this is pure speculation, obviously, uh, what what we all hope for is that the virus is brought under control and everything's able just to get back to the way it was but um if neither console comes out next year it could be like an amazing year for fifa 21 for example right the xbox game pass yeah or xbox game pass perfect good good example yeah you know what really needs to step up to this kind of situation google stadia no manufacturing no need for people to go out and, and buy things. There's no people like delivering things. There's like literally just devices that you already own accessing new games like AAA, AAA high-end games. Stadia need to kind of step up. And all those people kind of trapped and uh, locked down, they can get all the biggest games. Yeah. James, Stadia you know who absolutely will not step up yeah. to that situation? Google Stadia. Yeah. Google Stadia. And we, still, <laughs> and we still, you know, they we still need good internet connections for that. So, you know, that's... And they, they'll Stadia probably run still... into Chromecast and controller shortages too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think one thing that I, that has occurred to me though, in the last couple of, the last sort of 18 months or so, this is another sort of big long running story in addition to the, you know, the, the mobile approvals freeze and then you had all the stuff around the Blitzchung thing. Like, we're just being reminded over and over again of the very fundamental position that China has in, in the games industry now in so many different ways, right? Like this, like uh, the, the, the kind of the, the political will they seem to be able to assert over the biggest publishers uh, over the Blitzchung thing, the, the, the ripple effect of, of, the, of the freeze of approvals on the mobile industry. And now you've got this, which, you know, it... it it shows that on the on the very most basic level that the the global games industry really is reliant and uh, like uh, beholden to China in, in in ways that that this story really really highlights. And I think we've seen a lot of that over the last two years. I feel like it's been a constant sense of, you know, that that outside of the US, there really isn't anyone, any single country or market or industry that 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 has quite as much power and influence. this week came the news that Kickstarter became one of the first big tech companies to unionize. Uh, Rebecca, you covered this story. Um, I believe from reading your article, it was it was a vote of 46 um, against 37. They've now joined the local 153 chapter of the Office and Professional Employees International Union. That is the extent of my knowledge on it. You go. Yeah, so they that that is all accurate. Uh, this has kind of been going on for a little bit. Uh, I believe it kind of all started back in March of 2019. Uh, a group of employees came together at uh, Kickstarter and they formed a group called Kickstarter United. Um, they were working with the 
the, the it's long, however I say it, the Office of Professional Employees International Union, the OPEIU. Um, but they were working with that existing union to kind of organize the workers. Um, and it's sort of been a... It's been a uniquely interesting story in terms of unionization because we've seen they're one of the first major U.S. tech companies to unionize. I, I'm hesitant to say the first because there's probably one out there that I'm just not aware of, um, but but they're definitely one of the first. And we've also seen some stories over the last year of uh, big tech companies trying to unionize going badly. Um, there was a, I, I, there, there's been a lot of union busting efforts over at Google lately. I think those are the ones that jumped to my mind immediately because I know I've covered them, but I'm sure there's been others. Um, but Kickstarter United was sort of interesting. You know, they came out and I... When it comes to unionization, I don't ever really trust that kind of the public facing, oh yeah, we'll work with, you know, the unions to make sure everything is fair and nice statements. I don't ever trust those to be like totally genuine, but Kickstarter's company statement at the beginning, like their kind of response to the initial Kickstarter United group um, was surprisingly positive. It wasn't like overtly hostile or kind of you know, cagey or like, all right, well, we don't think you need a union, whatever. Um, so that, so it was kind of weird and like it signaled that there would be some positive stuff going on. But then in September, um, there were two employees who got fired from Kickstarter, um, who turned around and accused Kickstarter of firing them for participating in a union and they were basically union busting. Um, and so that was kind of, I guess that wasn't really surprising, but then when they came back and they they formed this union, um, those two employees were still uh, a part of the Kickstarter United group, and as part of the contract, they're going to try to push for their jobs back. And I just it it's rather exciting to see. I mean, yeah, it's a uh, what about oh seven? It's about eighty people, I think, total. So it's not it's not like thousands. It's not like you know a Google sized company, but it is still a you know a decently sized U.S. tech company that has done this, and they're now going to go into contract negotiation, and um, they're they're focused. Um, focused on transparency for management, uh, guaranteeing equal pay for equal work, uh, more inclusive hiring practices, and giving employees a voice in the decision-making process. Um, that's all stuff that they said they were going to work on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm kind of excited to follow this as they negotiate their contract and to sort of see how things change for Kickstarter. Um, the big hope, of course, is that this is sort of a moment where that, that encourages other major U.S. tech companies to unionize as well. Um, that sort of, you know, breaks the dam a little bit. I, d I don't know that it, I, I don't know that we're going to suddenly see a giant flood of U.S. tech companies also unionizing all of a sudden this year, but I, I don't know, like I'm, it's a little more hopeful, I guess, because working conditions in that sector have been kind of historically not great. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, um, the vote was 46 for the union and 37 against which goes to show that there's there's still it's a significant issue for a lot of people with like significant you know disagreement on on the best way to proceed and i i'm i'm curious what it's going to take to kind of galvanize um employees to the idea that that like yeah we we need a union and uh recently nexon um, in in Korea, they've got a union, and they they announced um, that they had struck a deal with their an agreement with their union that would see their uh, wages go up almost seven percent. I think in in twenty twenty, like that was the average wage increase 
for for the employees. And I wonder if it's going to take headlines like that, like like actual proof is in the pudding. Hey, look what this union did for these people. And yeah, they have to pay some of their their paycheck in in dues now, but they're also making X amount more and the dues are only, you know, a small part of that. Like is 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 that what finally does it or or is it just the I mean cuz to this point it's, it's it's been like companies behaving badly that seems to have given the union push traction, right? It's it's been mass layoffs with record profits, it's been you know, horrible workplace cultures, uh, it's th- things like that. To 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 put things over the top, though, I'm not sure. Like we can just keep seeing those those same stories and expect that you know those 37 people that voted against the the Kickstarter union to to change their minds. Yeah, well, I, I think that that that's, that probably is the 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 step that needs to happen now, and you need you need a couple of big big organizations to actually to to embrace it on in the, in the way that we're seeing now and to be able to um you know i think we'd all find it to be a bit of a relief to report on a positive union story it feels like we've been reporting a lot on the possibility of union but as brendan says it's always been about the kind of the bad behavior of companies the need for unions the the the, the awful situations which which give rise to the debate around unions once again um i do think actually though that 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 the, the 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 way this stuff has been covered has changed though i think yes i i do think we need to see the positive stories about the the good effect that the unions have but but i do think that the company like kickstarter or nexon or, or whoever it might be it, it's really not a good look anymore that the you know games industry.biz would report on something like uh the the possibility of unions but i i feel like a lot of the consumer press also do that now and and these sorts of stories spread like wildfire and it is really it's a very very bad look for a company to be completely anti-union now i I don't think there's ever a pro a pro story in the favor of a company that kind of tries to dissuade its its employees from from forming unions or to at least entertain the possibility of doing so i think that's had a big part to play in in tipping the scales a little bit yeah and the scales i don't think that i don't think they ever tip completely like this is it's we're in the middle of like an incredibly you know uh politically divisive atmosphere in the world and uh 46 for 37 against um i'm sure those 37 against were you know thinking fairly pro-business and unions are going to increase the costs for of operation for the business and i'm sure they think you know they believe it's better to 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 keep those costs down so that the business can continue to exist successfully and continue to employ more people um as as opposed to maybe thinking that that having a union would be tying their hands and and uh keeping them from from actually running and operating a successful business able to employ that many so like i don't think that that gets solved really like I think you're going to have right leaning and left leaning and pro union and anti union people just on an ideological level, um, regardless of what the companies are doing and what the unions are actually gaining. So, I mean, maybe forty six thirty seven is about as far as as that that balance tilts. 
Yeah. I mean, it's also possible, though. I mean, like I said, we don't know. We don't know what those 37 folks were thinking. Like, I've, you know, heard I've been a part of like a lot of different conversations about, you know, the like, like li- listening to kind of kind of the conversation about unionization in games specifically. Um, and there's there's like a lot of reasons why people, you know, are maybe maybe hesitant, ranging from just kind of like indifference to outright. No, this is this is going to be harmful. I mean, Kickstarter did fire two employees and those two employees were very prominent, you know, members of this organization effort. And they came back and accused Kickstarter of union busting. And like if you the it, union busting is not an ineffective tactic. Like it is very possible that they saw that and thought, wow, Kickstarter really seems to not like people who are involved in unions. I really like keeping my job. I think I'm just going to kind of sit here and not touch it. Like that is incredibly possible. So it's, this is not, regardless, this is not something that just gets, you know, solved by, you know, one group organizing. I mean, like Brendan said, this isn't, this doesn't like suddenly start a domino effect where all of a sudden everybody just starts unionizing. There are a lot of hills that unions across tech and gaming still have to climb. Um, this is this is a great. I I hope it's like what Matt said. I hope I hope this is right. I hope this is a situation where we end up having a really nice positive example of yeah, these guys unionized. They got a fair contract. Look how great you know everything is for them. Um, a bunch of things they had a problem with improved and also they got these other benefits that you know weren't necessarily problems to begin with but now they have these benefits look how great this is um but yeah well no I, it's hard i, I think it but the the, the kick uh, i was so surprised to read that headline purely because you know kickstarter it went from union busting to unionized in the space of a few months and i can only assume that a huge part of that was the degree of pushback Kickstarter got off the back of those union busting stories, right? That the, 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 in doing that, they actually created the circumstances through which they had to capitulate. Um, that that would seem to be the narrative there, because otherwise it's, it's it's not like Kickstarter was kind of considering it for ages. Like you, it went from actively, well, allegedly actively. I don't know how to what degree that was proved or or disproved, but 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 people people leaving the company under a cloud. That, that that seemed to be around uh, the union uh, around union busting to, to having a unionized workforce in a very very short space of time um, I do feel like yes the, the you'll never swing too far in one direction but actually you know I, I I find it odd to to report on situations like this because I'm a pretty you know I think unions are a really good idea I think unions you know what you were saying earlier Brendan about like the, the argument against unions being to keep costs down so the business can kind of hire more people and so on. But the thing is, unions prevent employees just being seen as nothing more than a cost, uh, something that can be scrubbed from the balance sheet when it needs to happen um, and, and kind of be, and treated as arbitrarily as, a, as an entry into a logbook or something. Um, so I, I've always kind of been fairly pro, but, but often, uh, I, particularly with the games industry, I see a lot of the negative sentiment towards unions almost seems to be as much disinterest as anything or or indifference you know like what's the point more than i am strongly ideologically opposed to this i think i think there's more kind of aggressively pro-union people than there are aggressively negative i just think a lot of people uh you know i, I even people that, that that we work with they, they would, would just seem to be a little bit indifferent think it it just seems a bit of a pointless thing to have that you don't really need it in the games industry or, or whatever that might be which i which i don't 
personally agree with. So it's it's heartening to see this happen at a company that not too long ago we were writing about as being fairly anti-union. You know that it it can swing, and even if it doesn't swing all the way over to one direction, it can swing pretty fast. Yeah, um, that's... And, and so maybe maybe this will mobilise people. You know, in other in other companies. Yeah, there's. I've, I've definitely gotten that impression too. Like, there's a lot of. Uh, we, we hear, you know, all the stories about how, you know, th- there are a lot of companies in the games industry and the tech industry that exploit workers and have really crappy working conditions and it's really bad. And those are the places that absolutely 100% really need unions. But there are also a lot of, you know, people who look at those stories and they're like, okay, that's terrible. That's awful. I will never work there. Also, my current job is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I have no major complaints. I'm just going to, you know, keep on rolling. And like, if your current job is fine, if you don't have any, you know, pressing complaints, then you don't really have have a strong motivation to unionize and they don't the, the one of the talking points that I you know hear when I you know kind of listen in on like what's what's going on with like unionization in the games industry is that you know you, it's harder to convince people that there is like a that the, the benefit is worth the amount of effort and the amount of work that it takes to actually unionize um, in the industry because of these union busting efforts. Like, why would you make any kind of move if you are fairly happy with your job and everything's fine, um, but you might lose your job or worse, like you know, if you decide to push for unionization and. I mean, that's part of it, right? Like the point is you, you unionize for everyone. You unionize for not just the people who are pretty fairly well satisfied, but also for the people who are not. And it's just, it, it's tough. It's, it is a really, really steep. So hope. one of the things I, I absolutely agree, uh, Rebecca, that, that like, you know, just treating your employees well is, is a really effective form of union busting. Um, <laughs> and but I, I wonder if in the Bay Area, where so much of the tech uh, sector is, is located, like it, it used to be, you know, they'd, they'd pay them a lot of money. You have the on-site facilities and, and catering and all, all kinds of perks We've got like that. a ping pong table, Brendan. we got a ping pong table. We don't need Yeah, unions. exactly. But because <laughs> it's fun. Um, but but the, the cost of living in, in the Bay Area has just... It was out of hand when I was living there uh, a decade and more ago, and it's it's only gotten worse since then. And those those really nice salaries that they're paying people are kind of like, for some of them, they're they're only covering like college dorm quality accommodations, and they're paying ridiculous amounts of money to live in the, for the privilege of living in those. And and I think just, I I wonder if if. The, the cost of absolutely everything in the Bay Area is rising to the point where those those salaries that that tech companies are paying out aren't really as effective in that uh, that whole union busting kind of uh, way in the, in that employee satisfying way that they than they used to be. I mean, I guess we'll find out if people unionize, right? Like things have gone up so much in the Bay Area that, like, it, it's just it's not feasible for companies to just keep shelling out proportionately more money uh, to all of their their employees to keep them around. I don't I don't see that happening in the video games industry as much as the tech industry, I guess. Um, just because there are so many other, you know, the 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 joy of working in games seems to be the way a lot of people get paid. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I think these things are not entirely separate. 
that is all we've got time for this week we'll be back next Monday with your regular news show in the meantime you can listen to our previous episodes on all good podcasting platforms and you can find your daily dose of news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz we